Profiles in Teaching with Technology is a podcast series created by Music First, a company dedicated to providing world-class cloud-based tools, content, and classroom management platforms to music teachers around the world. Each episode features a K-12 music educator who uses technology to enhance their teaching in innovative ways. We'll discuss the what, why, and how of their technology integration and hopefully share some teaching strategies that you can use in your own classroom. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. There you'll be able to find out about all of our platforms, as well as sign up for a free 30-day trial. An advocate for a deeper rehearsal learning experience, Jeremy Little, who teaches at the Vernon Hills High School, has presented at numerous education conferences and workshops in Illinois, Indiana, and Wisconsin. He also enjoys spending as much time as possible with his wonderful family, beautiful wife Andrea, silly son Elliot, and feisty daughter Evelyn. Academically, he is involved in teaching the comprehensive musicianship through performance model to music educators across the Midwest, and has contributed chapters in two recent publications, Feedback, The Hinge That Joins Teaching and Learning by Jane E. Pollock, and The Power of the Social Brain, Teaching, Learning, and Interdependent Thinking, edited by Arthur Costa and Pat Wilson O'Leary. He holds degrees from the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee and the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. It is my great privilege to welcome Jeremy to our podcast this week. So Jeremy, the very first thing I'm going to ask you, I saw on your uh, bio that you did your undergraduate degree at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. And then I have to ask, one of my favorite music technology educators of all time was a guy named Sam Reese. You must have had him. So yeah, I mean, what what was your experience like uh, with Sam? I'm assuming you had him and then, uh, yeah, I'd love to hear your t- take because I just love the guy. Sam Reese was uh, one of the best professors I had there. I learned so much from him and I am so grateful that he uh, at the kind of end of his career was, uh, I got to have him kind of to sprout up at the beginning of my career. I took two classes from him at um, music, uh, middle school, like methods class, and then a a separate music technology class. And um, he was the model educator. He modeled exactly what he taught us. He was prepared for his lessons. He really cared about his kids. Sometimes university professors sometimes phone it in. Yeah, no, I hear you. (laughs) Yeah, man, he was the opposite of phoning it in. He um, was a genuinely growth mindset teacher. And to see somebody who you knew was going to retire it a little bit, uh, to be growth mindset and to kind of inspire you when you're 20, you know, uh, and you're all about growth mindset, to see somebody who is, you know, 60 or, you know, 50, you know, know, uh, growth mindset, it was so inspiring to me. And I still take habits um, that he modeled in his class to this day of uh, writing things very clearly on the board, thinking of the end user experience, thinking of the student experience really um, clearly in my lessons and in my designs. Those are all um, really modeled after my time in Dr. Reese's class. And and best thing about Dr. Reese, he introduced me to Guinness beer. So, you know, that's the best thing. Yeah, I mean, Sam and I are our fellow uh, beer brewers. I hope, I'm going to send a link to Sam so he can hear this because uh, he was so influential on my career. If any of you are doing master's work or doctoral work 
and you're looking up resources on music technology, I guarantee you that you'll see Sam's name in the resources if you go to the turn to back to many dissertations. Um, Sam was a highly influential and, and a prodigious author in the late 90s. He contributed or he was the main editor along with two other fabulous educators with the opportunity to learn standards for music technology. I can't say enough positive things about him and I'm really glad that uh, we have that in common, Jeremy. That's very cool. So well, um, why don't you tell me I'm, about, oh, oh, sorry, go ahead. I'm just super glad you, uh, you brought that name up because as soon as you brought that name up, it brought a smile to my face. Thankful okay. for great mentors in my life. Sam, if you're listening, you have many, many fans and, and you've influenced many music educators. So uh, shout out to my good friend, Dr. Sam Rees. So Jeremy, let's, uh, let's hear about your path. So you did your undergraduate there. Then, you know, why don't you trace your career from that point to where you are now at uh, Vernon Hills High School? Sure. So undergrad at uh, U of I in Urbana-Champaign for wonderful years there uh, with Joe Grant and Chet Alwis as the choral people. And um, then uh, got a job teaching at Milwaukee Lutheran High School uh, on the far west side of the city of Milwaukee, private Christian high school of about 800 students. Uh, I taught for four years there, uh, got my master's degree at University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee uh, with uh, Sharon Hansen and uh, Chris Peterson. He's now at Cal State Fullerton. Wonderful, wonderful educator as well, Dr. Chris Peterson. Um, again, guy practiced what he preached and um, met my wonderful wife in his class oh, <laughs> there <cool. laughs> uh, as well. And so um, then the opportunity came uh, in 2007 to uh, come down to Vernon Hills and we both moved down here and we've been here ever since. Uh, really, really enjoyed the time that I spent in Milwaukee and at UWM. Uh, but was very, very happy to make the move to um, Vernon Hills and Vernon Hills High School. The um, District 128 is incredibly uh, supportive of the arts and uh, forward thinking in the way they design things. Um, and I'm very, very humbled to be able to work at that school. Now, where, um, in, in, so just for other listeners, in relationship to the city of Chicago, where, where is Vernon Hills? Sure, it's on the northwest, it's a northwest suburb, I actually say north suburb, uh, about uh, 50 minutes, uh, an hour north of uh, okay. downtown Chicago. It is um, uh, a wonderful place. Um, I call it the perfect po pocket of um, affluence and humility. Um, <laughs> I like that. Th there's a, a great nexus of those two things because there's resources to support what teachers do, but there's also... Um, the idea that we're going to support our teachers, we're going to let them um, let them do what they want. And there's a, a great, I, I got to say, Dr. Uh, Rita Fisher, who's our Director of Curriculum Instruction for our district, has spearheaded this wonderful, wonderful campaign. It's called DARING. It's an acronym for Dreamers and Doers, Aware, uh, Resilient. And it's got these um, kind of ideas behind the, the letters. And it encourages teachers to push the envelope and to yep. be nimble in response to change and to be global in how they think. And um, she set this kind of challenge in front of these educators and that then supports it. And so I feel very, very encouraged to try a lot of new things in my classroom and to venture out uh, for the sake of my students. And uh, so that's a wonderful thing about working there. That's, uh, it's really encouraging to hear when, when people have just 
a supportive community and supportive administrators. It just makes your job so much easier. I, I think for many teachers, I've heard this kind of mantra, if, if only the administrators left me alone, I would have the greatest music program in the world. So it's really, it's always refreshing to hear when people have that kind of support. Yeah, and you know, I don't, um... Yeah, I, I've listened to a number of wonderful interviews on the podcast and, you know, there are a ton of really, really wonderful teachers that are islands out there that are working on their own, that are yep. really doing amazing things for kids. And um, it, you're right, though, it does make it that, that much easier and that much more. Um, you're able to do it for a longer term. You're not biting the headwinds, so to yeah, speak. Absolutely. So um, we're going to turn quickly. I Obviously, you are... I, you know, if I have my geography right, you're not far from the border of Wisconsin, um, right? And right now you're in the midst of just the worst uh, part, at least we're recording this in like the, the second week of November, you're in the, the, the worst, the height of this kind of awful pandemic. So um, before we get into your music program, let's first talk about like what's going on there right now. How are you meeting? Are you meeting? Is it virtual, hybrid, in person? I'm, I'm sure it's not in person at this point. <laughs> So our school district in late July um, was awesome. And um, they, through a lot of debate and discussion, our school board voted in late July, if you can believe it, to go all virtual and, and stuck with it. And then we negotiated uh, two weeks of teacher in-service before the start of school. Uh, and we pushed our school schedule back. So teachers had two weeks to uh, and it was probably about three and a half weeks of actual time after that date to prepare for e-school. Um, our school district really gets rated highly uh, with stuff and we have a lot of teachers. This is a place where teachers come to stay and um, finish their careers because it's right. pretty awesome. And so we said we want to do e-school the best that we can do it. And boy, did we. I mean, there we had wonderful instructional coaches at our school. Um, present really high quality stuff on moving to e-learning and block schedule and how do you use zoom and how do you do all this stuff and so we've been we've been um, you know I feel we changed our whole schedule and changed everything to to really rocking it you know um, and um, then only recently uh, the decision was kind of made to maybe try to go back to hybrid and they've tried it twice and each time we've kind of gone up to the brink of hybrid and then it's no, we're going to stay full remote. So, yeah, safety um, first kind of thing. But quite honestly, um, you know, we, we took so much time to to do remote and do it well. And obviously, everybody knows there's limitations, and obviously, every teacher and, and student wants to go back. But if if we're not going to be able to do it at the height of it, we've watched school districts around us just kind of flop back and forth yeah. between hybrid and remote and this and that and changing schedules and it's just you see the the frustration in the, the educators and in the student uh, in the parents talking about it on Facebook and community conversations getting pretty nasty um, yep. with back and forth things and um, I tend to be a pretty centrist type of guy and so I can really see both sides I mean I have two children who are um, doing e-learning right now it's just in a parent uh, meeting for my son's middle school on what they can do to be better and you kind of see all these sides of, of parents so it's a really difficult situation but yep. I will tell you that um, I was really proud of our school district our music department um, our school and the other teachers that I know of kind of pivoting in those you know a couple weeks before and really delivering really high quality instruction to our students at Vernon Hills. It's so nice to hear that your district had the foresight to do two solid weeks of effective 
professional development to help you. Um, you think, right? I know, I mean, well, I mean, it's just so obvious. Rather than this being a Band-Aid solution, quite honestly, it could be that for the rest of the school year. I, nobody wants that. No one. Right. But if, you know, when back here in New York, it was March 13th. I don't know what it was there for you in Illinois, but March 13th is when everything hit the fan. And, and many teachers were woefully unprepared for teaching. They'd never done it so you know and and understandably woefully underprepared but then when you knew i mean it's just great to hear that a district in july said okay we're we're planning for the worst and we're going to make the best of it um yeah. i know so just a quick shout out to my own school district i live in pearl river new york which is about 20 miles north of manhattan and i am working from home uh, my office is in midtown manhattan and our offices are closed and i haven't been in the office since the beginning of march um, and I have been listening to my daughter in virtual school. We're, they're actually a hybrid model here, but for many reasons, she's been through a couple of quarantines. Um, I've been listening while she's in the dining room. I'm in the living room. I've been listening to her teachers, and they are rock stars. I'm listening mm -hmm. to people who were never trained at, you know, when you were at Urbana-Champaign, Sam didn't teach you, okay, just in case there's a pandemic, this is how you do it. You're right. You know, right. Nobody is prepared, not the administrators, not the teachers, not the parents, not the students. So right. hats off to your district. I hope they're listening. Uh, that That is brilliant. And it's... Um, it's more of the exception than the rule, unfortunately. A lot of, dis I'm, I, I've spoken to a few um, program administrators who did very, very similar things. Latasha Castellolala, a couple podcasts yes, ago, yes, was I amazing, to and mm -hmm. she did all that over the summer, and she mm -hmm. gets success. So anyway, I can go on and on about it, but it's great to hear. So why don't you talk, Jeremy, about what your, what your choral program at your high school was like before? Uh, March and what it's like now. So, you know, the number of ensembles and, and how you're navigating through this. Well, I'll give you a good intro to that, a good bridge story. So March 13th, right? You said everything hit the fan. Yeah. Um, March 18th, we were set to premiere a 45 minute brand new work. Oh my. That, we, that was a commission that was two oh. years in the making with every choral student, one of our orchestras, and then our American studies class, which is a, um, co-taught English and history class and that students were going to narrate. It was by Illinois um, composer Lee Kesselman, who is a national known oh, composer absolutely. and really fantastic. And it was um, th the title of the work. It was 10 movements for choir and string orchestra. Uh, and it was um, called Remember Us. And it was voices, um, disenfranchised voices in American history that we were trying to um, bring light to, including one poem um, by um, uh, Yosimar Reyes, who is an undocumented uh, poet in LA, and he, it, this is his first work that he, his poem that we are bringing to light. Oh, We're wow. so proud of this. We've been working on it for the whole year. Obviously, you know, 10 movements is a lot of music lot. and whatever, <laughs> and uh, it was set to premiere March 18th. And oh, so that's heartbreaking. That whole week, you know, you kind of think like, oh my gosh, is this really going to happen, et cetera, et cetera. And we, the only thing that we had was rehearsal recordings. Um, but what was cool is kids um, on Friday, that day, the, I think it was Friday the 13th. It was actually, indeed. Right. <laughs> um, right? Um, we had these huge projects that were due um, and kids had been researching the, a person in American history or a family member or something that was a, a, a disenfranchised voice that they wanted to shed light on their story. And so kids turned in all these projects and um, we kind of spent the, the rest of the semester, um, I was grading them and 
but we, we kind of spent this rest, rest of the semester like everybody did in kind of mourning and kind of shock and whatever. And we put together a couple of virtual choir things at the end. But fast forward to this summer or, you know, and when I figured out um, uh, using a lot of the music for software and using Soundtrap uh, specifically um, to, you know, make a choral sound, we fast forward to the fall and we took two of the tunes that we were going to um, do and we we used Soundtrap and practice first to uh, recreate them and we're able to get rehearse your recordings of them to put out to our community. So just in just a few, a week or two, we will have um, kind of these recordings with some videos that kids are editing videos to make it kind of audio and video together. And we'll put the, the kind of the story out. And it was Lee's birthday on election day. And so I sent him the two record, re recordings of these that we've kind of edited together through Soundtrap. And, um, so we're kind of trying to, and it was the kid's decision because I said, do you guys want to just kind of turn the page on that, kind of be done with that? And they were like, we didn't get a chance to do this. Let's, right. no, absolutely. let's, let's take these back. And then I was like, well, we got to use this program. And they're like, what, how do we do this? So, you know, it, it, it took time and, and the, the comp, uh, fourth composition, piece number four, it's called Undocumented Joy is an incredible piece of music, but has, time signature changes and rubato and um, all these different kind of technically musical difficult things in a regular setting but in soundtrack yeah no that's very hard. <laughs> hard so we worked our butts off at it and, and did the best that we could so oh that's so um what what you know what what kind of how many ensembles do you have how many students describe your actual music program Sure. So my music program, uh, the the we have a wonderful, wonderful fine arts program. Great theater, um, uh, a state uh, and national caliber level orchestra uh, program and band program, and then a, a wonderful choir program as well. And so um, we have a lot of high powered, you know, kids that like to do a lot of things. We share um, students as we can. We've got a music theory um, kind of component. Um, my choir program, because there's a million rock star teachers at the school, kids take a lot of classes. Right. Um, it's hard to fit choir in and so um, just kind of like any school you got to really you know try to try to be the best you can be so you know in a normal year um, I just have four classes um, uh, about 110 120 students um, it's not the world's largest program um, but we um, we have you know kind of a freshman intro class and the sophomore girls class uh junior senior kind of concert choir and then kind of a chamber choir which is the kind of sings madrigal and um you know really strong christmas carol right. arrangements in the fall and then turns to kind of pop acapella uh in the spring now and it's funny that you whenever i hear anybody say i have 120 students in my program it's in a pretty small program Please come to the East Coast, come to New Jersey, come to New York, come to Connecticut. That's a massive program over here. So uh, <laughs> okay. we, like you, I'm sure in the kind of affluent suburbs with humility, I think is how you described it, um, where we were in, in this kind of East Coast megalopolis that, you know, you know, within 50 miles of New York City, these mm -hmm. kids are, these kids are so over scheduled, over committed, they're in a million things, they're AP this, you know, varsity sports all vying for, you know, to get into the best possible college they can. So 120 is not a small program by any stretch. Well, and yeah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to. No, yeah, no, no. <laughs> it's I just it's funny whenever I hear that because, like, for example, in Texas, they'd be like, "That's a tiny program." You know, we have that's, 600 kids in the yeah, choir. So. That's that's my freshman B choir. Exactly, exactly, <laughs> exactly. 
it's right. So um, I, you're you're all virtual uh, at the moment. So how yeah. are you? How are you dealing with that? How are you having rehearsals? What kind of things are you doing with your kids? So. Uh, after the mourning period in the spring <laughs> and yeah. after trying to figure out, you know, like, gosh, I see these virtual choirs and then you get into it and it's just, you know, incredibly time, difficult, incredibly, incredibly difficult, right. You know, to do. And, and honestly, the, here's not, this isn't the problem. It's not that it's incredibly difficult because I can overcome incredibly difficult. The virtual choir to the end user, to the kid, is not really educational. And that's my biggest problem with it. Really that you, and, and so that, you know, as a kid, you learn your part, but you, you kind of learn it completely on your own. Um, you have to film it, you send it away, and then four months later, you, you, you get this prod thing back, or a couple months later or whatever. Um, whereas, when uh, so last uh, last year I got it we used music first uh, kind of tentatively as our um, uh, we kind of transitioned to it and I kind of made some experiments with it just kind of seeing how it went um, and then this summer obviously when the pandemic hit I was like well let's look into this further and uh, you know it provides so many avenues for kids to learn music virtually mm -hmm. and so what we uh, but you have to learn how to use like MuseScore, you yeah. know, and so um, I will give an, a massive shout out. We have a, an accompanist at our school uh, and a, a, a budget for an, for an accompanist and our accompanist is uh, this fantastic educator. I'm going to call her an educator, but she is a composer. Her name's Heidi Jostin and she uh, worked with us this last year and has really taken a lot of uh, time to help us kind of take scores from paper into, you know, digital format in a, a, like a Muse score format or XML format. Right. And then um, on the back end helps us edit the uh, stuff that goes into Soundtrap and then she'll take it from Soundtrap into Logic uh, and, and kind of make it, you know, more cohesive. Um, and so we could not do this without her. I mean, I could do it, but um, like later on, I, you know, I hope we'll talk about work-life balance in COVID because that's a big thing for me as a teacher. Absolutely. If any other teachers are listening, um, I don't want you to think that uh, they have to do it all alone or everything can be done alone. Um, and, and there is a kind of uh, thing, if you listen to these podcasts, which I do a lot, um, it's kind of like, that's really great for that teacher, but what's right for me in my situation? And yeah, so absolutely. In, in, in our situation, um, We've been able to have Heidi come along and, and really help out um, and be uh, a really wonderful resource. But if I didn't have Heidi, I would be doing less of this, to be quite honest with you. Yep. Um, I, I would still be doing the same exact thing, but it would take longer because it was only one person and I would be doing less of it. I think everybody who's listening wants Heidi Jostin's email address so they can get in touch with her. Because you're right. I mean, making the scores, creating all that back end work is a lot of work it's uh, you know let's i'm not i'll be very transparent uh and your your work-life balance comment is extremely appreciated um i think by everyone uh because this is you know it's so much more time consuming to create online learning it is it's just a fact uh, but here's the nice thing about it that, that i liked if i'm going to do a lot of work as a teacher i want there to be a payoff for the kids not necessarily the final result but for the kids educationally i want that's what i want the payoff to have to happen and so what i saw with this over the summer is especially with practice first and with soundtrap right that 
if I'm going to take this score and, you know, there's a lot of programs, you know, um, MuseScore has a, an import feature that's decent. decent. Um, there's like um, scanning programs that, uh, that we have, you know, that can kind of, uh, let's see, play to score or play score two and, you know, different pro, you know, kind of scanning apps where then you can kind of put in the lyrics um, after most of the music is scanned and it's scanned pretty decently. And you just, and it's like any skill, the more you do it, the better you get at it, the faster it goes. But at least that way, when we come back, so you asked at the onset, how am I, how am I doing? I'm rehearsing, I'm rehearsing kids. We are making music. Now they have their mics off. But I teach a lot, how do you assess yourself? Big thing, if you can't hear it, you can't fix it. So how do you hear your own mistakes? We're using um, uh, practice first for the, all the music that they have. Now I've shied away a little bit from um, practice first assessment feature because mm -hmm. uh, if, if I have a little bit of a, you know, ask sometimes is I would love to use the assessment feature on practice first if they could record it with their own part in their ear. You know, but it takes a really advanced musician to, you know, hear the soprano, alto, and bass parts and sing the tenor part. Right. And right now, that's the only option. Um, but if they could record their own part with their ear, if, if it was just an option to record with just the tenor part in their ear or just the bass part, and you record that same thing, and then it assesses them, oh my God, the world would open up. All right. Because... So I, I, it, you're right. But let me tell you why we don't have that. Because, and it's. Sure, a... please. I'm excited to learn. Yeah, so um, there is a product, uh, you know, a, a competing product that everyone knows called Smart Music that that also does it. They've been around forever. I used it when I was a teacher, and when I when my, when I was using it, my kids used to do the assessment with their part turned all the way up, the volume, so that they'd get a hundred on it. They they would literally record. And they game the system. <laughs> it, right, they gamed it, and we found out. Well, so we do not allow you to hear your own part because kids would game the system and practice first. I actually. I, I did that by design, and that may not be that may not make you happy. But that being said, um, kids have figured that bit out. They're actually on their phone recording their part alone. They're they're pressing play, recording it on their phones, and then going up to their Chromebook and playing it back. God bless uh, America. I mean, God, you, these kids are just, they're brilliant. So if I, they were half as innovative, it's just like my son, you know, you know, doing all this stuff. I came into to, uh, his room the other day when he was, he had a, a phone, he had two tabs open and, and neither of the phone nor the two tabs or anything regarded related to school. Yep. And he was supposed to be in the middle of his math class. And I was like, if you worked half as hard <laughs> at your actual math class as you did at all this other stuff, you'd be fantastic. Absolutely. You know? But you know, um, but anyway, I, I saw the option. I saw all the potential to actually do what we do, which is this: kids want to use their God-given brain and create art, right? And mm -hmm. so the Practice First uh, app, the um, Music First, or excuse me, the um, Soundtrap app, allowed us to actually do that right? Is to kind of here's where you need to use your own brain, your own voice your own kind of musical mind. And then, you know, I can use Musician, the, you know, the app to, to teach theory or to teach rhythm performance or something like that, how to read music, because rhythm performance is actually something that you need because you're yep. gonna use it here. Not like here, just do these thousand rhythm exercises, but you're never gonna perform. So like a kid's gonna say, well, why, I, why do I need to use this? Or why do I need to know the notes of the treble clef or solfege or, any of those other things, if you're not going to actually use them. And so 
I was so thankful that this suite of apps came along for in my life. I was so thankful that I, that I met um, Mike Olander at a conference yep. and, you know, got to use it. And, and, and so thankful that you guys are doing this work so far ahead of me to be so advanced because, you know, um, this is, there's so many applications here that I'm going to take post pandemic, right? Post right. post pandemic and incorporate into rehearsal that are really long lasting. So yeah, hallelujah to that a post pandemic. I can't wait. <laughs> Fingers crossed, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now you're a choir director. There are a lot of choir directors that are using music first. And you just mentioned, you know, having rehearsals, you're doing rehearsals. Mm -hmm. So you also mentioned that the kids are on mute. So I, I would love for you. I've, I think I've said it before, but I'd love to hear right from you. What does a choir rehearsal? Are you using Google Meet or Zoom or something like that? Yeah, so um, all the kids get their music on practice first, right? The, the sheet music, quote unquote, <laughs> right? And, um, and then what I'll do is I will rehearse in essence two parts at a time and I will, uh, and I'll have asynchronous assignments for the other half of the choir. If I'm rehearsing like an SATV choir or something like that, here's, th you know, three assignments in, in musician or you know, um, sight reading factory or, you know, anything else that I want to do. And please take the next, we, you know, we have hour and 20. Ah, block scheduling. Block schedules, yep. but it's every other day. Okay. Um, and so, you know, here's your, you know, 30 minutes of asynchronous time. You stay on the Zoom, you do that. And sometimes they're for a great, for a grade and I'll collect them. Sometimes it's just, you know, do it and <clears throat> practice. Right. And then for the other half, I will, uh, rehearse and I'll be just like normal. I have a piano. I will make my dumb jokes. I will teach. I will, you know, show model vowel shape and cutoffs, learning how to count, learning how to think like a musician. All right, let's go back and do it again. What are the three things that you're going to think about this time as you sing? We're going to think about a deep breath before we go. We're going to think about that no breath in the middle of the phrase and we're going to think about the cutoff on, on beat four. All right. Now go. Now we do it. I model it perfectly every time as I sing. Um, and then I, and I say, did I do it? Uh, sopranos, when you're rehearsing uh, and like you're hearing sopranos, you're only hearing the alto part. Well, hold me accountable. Did I cut off on beat four? Did I have a, and sometimes I'll do things wrong on purpose. And then I'll just say in the chat, tell me what I did wrong. You know, tell me, tell me the thing that I did wrong really um, or unmute yourself. Right. And um, I've chosen more homophonic music or homorhythmic music actually, right. because then at least that way, the words and the rhythms are the same. So it's not so much like, now with the top choir, you can do palestrina or some sort of, you know, polyphonic music um, there, but at least with homorhythmic music, the words and the rhythms and the cutoffs are all the same. So if you rehearse only two parts, one part can really still be gaining a lot of knowledge and and I, I tell them, hold me accountable. Try to find the thing that I did wrong. You know, make it a game, right. stuff it's like that. Really and I would do that. In, I would do that in normal rehearsal too. But the thing that I realized about halfway through is like, you know, in a normal rehearsal, they would be sitting, listening. And I have a lot of things like, I have this big thing in class, like, what do you do with your downtime in rehearsal? Because you have a lot of downtime. Um, you know, if the saxophones are playing and you're a flute, well, you got downtime. Right. But the smart musician is really actively listening, is kind of, you know, either rehearsing their part in their head or seeing how well did the saxophones produce the tone that the teacher wanted or how well did they do the, you know, staccato, you know, articulations or something like that. And so I will challenge the opposite part to 
really keep their brain involved. I, I try to use as much humor as I can. Um, I've actually found online teaching, I can be a little bit more snarky and a <laughs> yep. bit more, you know, kind of loose with the kids because I don't have to really worry about classroom management or discipline, right? you know, I mean, you know, like, so um, try to, you know, have some Calvin and Hobbes and far side cartoons and to play um, some just dumb Jimmy Fallon tonight show clips, or I don't know if you know the, the goes wrong show on Amazon prime, but it is hilarious. And we'll play things from there, you know, just in the middle to kind of have a brain break and then go on to do the next thing. So, yep. That's great. I, and, and the kids are on mute. So yeah, so to finish up the story, you know, the kid or the, the process, the kids are on mute, constantly self-assessing, constantly doing stuff like that. But honestly, I don't know. I don't know what they're doing, right? So then the big thing, the next big piece of the puzzle is, okay, here we go. Now go into Soundtrap. In every Soundtrap <coughs> project that we have, um, I open up a room just for the Sopranos. Within that room, imported from MuseScore, I have the full accompaniment, the soprano part, the alto, tenor, and bass parts, they can uh, clearly labeled. A kid then puts their line in, their name, you know, Susie Snowflake dash alto, right? Yep. And, and then they can, so, and then I will also include my voice singing the tenor and the bass parts to everything. And so I say a lot, you know, like, rehearse with the alto part, you know, solo your voice and the alto uh, practice voice. And it's, um, uh, uh, let's, let's see, it's like a computer, like piano plunking. Uh, I have it as a steel string guitar setting on the sound. So it's a really big um, initial attack. Yep. So kids know uh, when to, to go because lining up rhythms is the biggest hassle in Soundtrap. Yep. And then they do it a lot uh, when they're kind of done with a chunk. Um, you know, I'll say some days I'll be rehearsing and then I'll say your asynchronous time is to record measure 21 to 45 in Soundtrap. That's what your grade is or your assignment asynchronously is. And then um, I'll go back and I'll say, how did you do? Um, I um, have a lot of kids and, you know, individual feedback, especially on this is the, is the piece that I cannot do a lot. Right. Right. But what I do try to do is to do editing um, or like teach them how to edit, teach them how to self feedback. Um, I did um, hear the first example for our upper level juniors and seniors and even sophomores. The, the, it's really nice. Um, they're really working at it. And for the freshmen, it's harder. They're definitely more timid. Um, but it's just like any process. You're harder. It's harder and timid riding a bike at first and you fall Absolutely. down, but you yeah. just do it a lot. And it's a safe environment. It's not going anywhere. Um, a lot of the times for all of our music too, um, we're doing, so basically we're doing a gift wrapping playlist that's going to come out in um, no, December 11th. We got about a great 30, idea. 30 tunes, I think, um, that we're, that we're kind of doing between all the, the choirs. And um, so, but, but the, the major choirs are, um, the freshmen are singing the same tunes as the seniors, right? Uh -huh. And so we'll, we'll take their voice, we will add it into the Soundtrap project, just like you were doing a mass choir, right? And so we, we also had to talk with the kids about, you know, like, this is not what you guys signed up for right? This is totally not what you signed up for. You're, we're teaching you how to be a studio musician, but you signed up to be a live choral musician. Right. So, you know, is it okay if we, if it's really hard for you and, and you're required to put your voice in there and you're really scared and you're required, is it okay for you to request like, hey, can you turn my voice down on the final recording? 
is that okay? Right. And, and, and kids are like, yeah, because like normally I would be sitting next to two really strong people and I could just sing and I wouldn't stick out. But now here I'm really sticking out. My voice is front and center. And I don't want to be the person that's everybody's like, oh, I can hear you and you stink. Right. You know, so like we, we, we've had discussions in every class about how, how we do that. And, um, in the final product, you know, we, it's, we don't put so many filters on it that it doesn't sound like us. But in the same sense, we also say, you know, let, let's hear this and let's let's see if we can talk about this and 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 make things the best that we can make it. Right. So that's the kind of the missing piece that uh, the or the piece that I was so happy about because I could figure out how to do rehearsal, but actually Soundtrap allows us to perform and gives us the motivation to do it. So that's that's. Uh... I really, it's very cool. It's a really cool approach. I think that when this whole thing first started, everybody was immediately trying to recreate exactly the live experience and they were quickly very frustrated in doing yeah. so. Yeah. You know, your idea where you say, this isn't what you signed up for. And now, you know, you're more of a studio musician. You know, the, I, I'm sure at this point, most teachers have figured this out, that, that this kind of live rehearsal is impossible over Zoom, meaning right. synchronous live rehearsal. So then that kind of everybody muted with you conducting. Whenever I do sessions, I'm doing a lot of virtual conferences right now. One of the very first activities I do is let's, I'm gonna conduct you singing happy birthday. And what comes out is horrendous. You, I mean, they're, they're all trained musicians and it, it, it sounds like a big mess. So it's, it's really cool to hear how you kind of figured it out on the fly. And yeah, it's, it's excellent. So I'm gonna steer things back to uh, I, I have a question that I ask, you know, pretty much everybody, which is how did you get interested in technology? And recently it's been, I haven't asked it because it's, well, I got interested <laughs> in technology on March 13th. That's what, yes, that's so, right. <laughs> but because you had Sam Reese to bring up Sam again, I'm sure that he influenced you. Did you, were you using technology before this? And if so, how? Yeah. So I came at it in a little bit of a, a different way. So, um, I, I am really big into, uh, if people don't know, it's called the Comprehensive Musicianship Model of, uh, CMP model. Absolutely. Um, our, web, our website's ilcmp.org. Um, and it started in Wisconsin. It's a big thing. And I could go into it uh, in, in tons of detail. It's a different podcast. But um, it is basically, the long and short of it, it's a, it's a deeper and richer way to teach kids music. And it's just beyond the notes. There's so much more to music that's beyond the notes. It's comprehensive. And so the if you're going to include all that teaching in terms of the knowledge of a piece of music, there's in the CMP world, there's the skill. And it's hard enough to just teach kids how to sing and play, you know, in tune correctly with notes and rhythms. And then there's the knowledge component, which is, you know, it's like you're a mechanic and you take the hood off the piece and you see all the inner parts of it. How does it work? What's a, if you're, you're doing a renaissance tune like there's a thing called imitative polyphony and it, it's it's got rules and it's got a, a, a you know thing to follow so um but there's the the best part about cmp is and i'm going to answer your question but i'm doing it in a roundabout way That's the best great. part about cmp is the affective outcome which in essence takes students and um, says there's so much more to music than this. There's the, that music can be um, political, that music can be used to um, serve emotional uh, needs, not like socio-emotional needs, but it, 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 it 
creates, uh, there's moods in music and how do composers use these moods uh, or use the notes to kind of create mood or um, that, you know, I can figure out more about myself and am I a classicist or a romanticist? <laughs> do I yep. things like more orderly or, you know, I, um, and quite honestly, when I was talking earlier in the podcast about the, um, uh, our big project uh, that we did, the uh, commission project, our affective outcome was using, um, was delving into uh, the disenfranchised voices in American history and comparing their stories to our story and figuring out like, these are, I work with mostly affluent kids in the 20th century, you know, and they were researching mostly non-affluent people in centuries before. How right. are their lives different? And that's an affective, that's affective teaching. So the, one, the reason that I love music first so much and music technology in general is that it, it does the, if you remember Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it does the lower, or not Maslow, excuse me, um, Bloom. Bloom's <laughs> taxonomy. If you yeah. remember Bloom's, the, it does the lower level of Bloom so very well and so much faster than an individual teacher could do it. So the recall, the knowledge, the comprehension, even some analysis, right, in the second and third layer of Bloom, it does that so much faster and so much more um, individualized than, a, than an actual teacher could do it. So <clears throat> for example, um, I was actually using a musician yesterday with my son um, on his piano practice because I was having my daughter pl actually play and I was um, supervising her lesson. You know, she was doing stuff and I was in there supervising her lesson. Right. And my son was on the, uh, in the other room tapping rhythms to, and getting better at just, you know, tapping, you know, eighth note rhythms in and use it and getting feedback. And I said, you got to do 20 of these and then you got to do 20 um, just like note reading, you know, note in the piano. You right. know? And he's in sixth grade, she's in fourth grade. And then I was able to switch. So they had a basically a quote unquote, a 30 minute lesson, but it was 30 minutes of actual piano playing where I could then be free to be coached, to coach her and to kind of do stuff like that. And then, but she was still getting a lesson when I was coaching him because she was working with rhythms and I didn't right. have to do that. And so my, the, the best thing about music technology to me is it frees up the teacher um, by, by giving the students autonomy and by um, giving the students such individualized and timely, quick, relevant feedback. And it's so fast, it frees up the teacher to go around and then coach individual students or it frees up the teacher to use valuable class time to teach richer and deeper. Um, you know, and like, why do we get into music in the first place? Yeah. Nobody gets into music or very few students and teachers because, you know, they want to, you know, know more about, you know, 16th note rhythms and stuff like that. But it's what does the 16th note rhythm do? What does it make you feel like? How does it function in the bigger thing. You know, if you're doing a, a handle like a Chandos anthem or something like that, and it's got this rich da, 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 you know, this royal yep. kind of regal entrance, you have to learn how to perform it correctly. And therefore you have to have the background knowledge, but that's not the end in itself. The end is like feeling what, what does it, how does it make you feel? And why is it a 16th rhythm versus da, 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 doesn't sound as well as da, Ta -da, you know, yeah. and, and so that's what I, you know, I actually loved music technology with Dr. Reese, 
Um, but when I got out, I was such a choral heavy person and my first school did not have the funds to do kind of anything. And so I was taken aback or I was just kind of consumed with the regular habits of a first year teacher, um, you know, and all that other stuff. And so it kind of went by the wayside for a little bit. Um, but I, I, I kind of then did everything myself. I did all these worksheets and I created them all by myself and then had to grade them all by myself and had to, you know, and, and that was when I was single, but goodness, when I got married and started to have kids, I was like, Oh, hell no. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like, you know, like there are things to do and there are things that can do all this for you. So you can have the best of both worlds. Like I can have the computer grade this. I can still be coaching kids. I can have them do all these assignments. I can still be coaching. It's not like I don't care about it or it's not like I just leave the computer to do all the grading. Um, I can have them have do a lot of feed, uh, have a lot of f- f- um, relevant and timely feedback right to themselves. Cause that's what music is too. It's just, it's repetitive practice over time. Right. Yep. Um, and uh, you know, things like practice first where it gives the amazing, amazing feedback, um, uh, visually or uh, things like musician that it just gives, <clears throat> I'm thinking about the rhythm tapping thing, um, yep. just the, the visual feedback of earlier, later, you know, things like that. That is, that's valuable. So then as a teacher, then I can decide to do, I, I can, I, it frees up so much time. So then I can decide to do with that extra time. One, I can do more individual coaching. Two, I could do richer teaching somewhere else or three, and you know, this is, I hope it doesn't sound selfish, but everybody who's listening, I could go home to my wife and kids and exactly. I can be a dad <laughs> and I can, I can be a dad and I can be a leader at my boy scout, my kid's boy scout troop or, you know, right. You know, instead yeah, of there's more to life the, than there's more to life than music. My friend, Man, I'll tell you what. And so that is a huge, huge thing that um, actually my high school teacher and I, Paul Roush is his name, a fantastic and educator, great mentor. And he and I had kind of developed this portfolio of music worksheets, right? Um, you know, that he had had, and I kind of took and, uh, it, it, you know, um, modified for my own use. And then a lot of other teachers had kind of given it out. And I've actually gone away from the portfolio now just because it's now all cloud-based and on your phone, yep. right? And so I've kind of released a little bit of the sense of, <laughs> um, how shall I say, uh, I, I, I wanted to teach it the dotted rhythms this way. And so I had a perfect worksheet to teach that this way. I've given some of that up, right? But the th- what I've given up, I've, I've gained so much in terms of my students have gained so much in terms of the ability to do things fast um, uh, on their own time. They can do it at 10 o'clock at night if they want to. Um, you know, I've gained yep. so much with the cloud-based uh, software uh, and, and it's freed up my time so that I can, you know, I. You can, I teach. can go home and be a dad and I, <laughs> exactly. I can teach. It, it gives yeah. me freedom. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, wow, Jeremy, you and I are cut from the exact same cloth. So it's really nice to hear like-minded individuals. Uh, so we have, we are just about out of time. So I'm going to ask you only one last question and that's the advice one. Uh, Cause we touched on what you'd like to see about practice first change. I'll, I'll, I'll make notes. <laughs> of that. But, uh, so um, we'll close out by, you know, what advice would you give to other choir directors, other music teachers who are struggling right now trying to figure this out, you know, based on your experience and, and, and everything that you're doing right now? Um, I thought about that. I saw that you asked me that question ahead of time. And there's a lot of ways you could go. But here's what I'd say. You can't pour from an empty cup. 
Oh, wow. I like that. You can't pour from an empty cup. Um, This pandemic has, everybody is different. I have a former student who's now a teacher who did a full concert in May, virtual choirs, probably an hour and 15 minutes of virtual choirs that he had set up. Think about that. An hour and 15 minutes of virtual choirs. Think about the amount of work in logic. And he didn't know logic in March, right? Right. But he's, uh, he's an amazing educator. He actually works at my old high school. His name is Brian Joswiak. Um, wonderful guy. Um, but he did all that and learned all that because he's a single dude who's young. Right. I looked at all that and I said, there's no way on God's green earth I can give that to my students because that's not who I am. I'm dealing right. with you know, all this other stuff and that's you know, whatever. You have to be able to pour into your students. You have to. Yep. I, I've written handwritten letters to all of my students. That takes time. Um, to to be able to do. I'm thinking about affective outcomes, even over Zoom that we can do with remote. But at some time at the end of the day, I got to put this down. I'm in my basement. um, So I let my kids come in. I let them talk to my classes. I let them skip some of their classes. We kind of, I'll show them the artwork that my son has made and stuff because it fills me with joy and it, I'm, I'm, I'm still a dad. I'm working right here. And sometimes I say it jokingly, but I'm like, Elliot, why, what are you doing here? Daddy's got to earn money, <laughs> you know, like, but it's, and it's funny. Cause like, here's my kid, here's my class. Here's all my worlds colliding. I wasn't trained for this. Nobody was. Right. And the students weren't trained to learn at home and zoom. So I share my whole life with my kids. Um, but I'm also learning where to draw the line. So I can't pour from an empty cup. My wife, who is a fabulous, fabulous educator, deserves so much credit for being a fabulous educator while um, planning meals, yeah. while supervising the e-learning of two kids, while you know taking on a mentor and mentoring a young colleague at her school, while, I mean, like she's doing yeah. all that too. Yep. I'm trying to do stuff, right? So you gotta do things that fill your tank and and then you can give to the kids. And it's not selfish. We teachers are altruistic, but a lot of times to a fault. Yeah. And, um, and again, this, isn't, this is a plug for Music First, but it's not, it's, it is, is that this software allows you the space to do other stuff. Once you learn it and once you set it up right, and there's a, you know, a learning curve to everything, but it allows you the space to then say, you know, I've given these assignments. I'm doing this. I know what I'm doing in my classroom is, is good. I know it's solid. All right. I'm going to turn my computer off. I'm going to shut the laptop down. I'm going to go and take a walk in the park. I'm going to go and, you know, learn how to cook a new meal. I'm going to go and refresh my soul with something so that tomorrow I can pour into my kids. Because if you don't do that, you end up being the bitter teacher or you end up faking it so much and kids can see through the BS, yeah. um, both your family and your students, they can see through the BS. And then, and then you, bur- then you burn out, you know, Jeremy, that is uh, very, very sage wise advice. And I hope everybody uh, takes, takes um, stock of that. I, it's been a pleasure to chat with you, Jeremy. I wish you all the best. Um, I'm going to post uh, the links uh, to your music program, as well as your Facebook page so that people can check out what you do. Thank you so much. Keep doing uh, the great work that you're doing. It's been a real pleasure, Jeremy. Thanks for the opportunity. You got it. Take care. Thank you for listening to Profiles in Teaching with Technology from Music First. For more information about Music First, please visit www.musicfirst.com. 
If you would like to stay up to date with other music teachers doing innovative things in their classrooms with technology, please subscribe to our podcast through whatever outlet you listen to podcasts on. Thanks for listening.